0: We're doing a series around here that we're calling Thrive. And we've started this a couple of weeks ago and I've been saying this over the last couple of weeks that one of my greatest joys in life is to lead you spiritually. Because first and foremost, you are a spirit being. You're not a human being who's trying to have these temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spiritual being. And this is simply a temporary human experience that you are having. And this temporary human experience goes by just like that. The older you get, the more you realize how quick this human experience is. And so because of that, when you focus on your spirit you're going to see the other areas of your life grow and develop. And so I want to spur you, uh, spur you on in the spiritual aspects of your life so that you can watch and see how that makes a difference in the other aspects of your life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I want you to think about that. Because I think a lot of times we forget, and if maybe you've grown up in the church or maybe you go to church casually, that you kind of reduce maybe this Christian thing to a church, to do something that you do on Sunday. But it, it's an issue of patterning our lives after Jesus, living our lives like Jesus did. Because when you stop and think about it, Jesus gives us the example of how to thrive. He shows us how to flourish as human beings. He came as God coming here to earth to show us what God intended all along in terms of how our lives are to exist and how they are to be. And so when we pattern our lives after him, then that's when our lives come alive. That's when we begin to thrive. This morning, I want to talk with you about some essentials for healthy families. We've been looking at kind of some different aspects of how to get your life kind of stirred up and thriving as we started here in 2017. This morning, I want to talk to you specifically about some essentials for healthy families. And I want to kind of speak to it in a way where I think that, that I think it will benefit every one of you, whether or not you're married, whether you have kids or not. And even if you're single, I think these essentials work for every one of us. Look at this passage in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. It says, it takes wisdom To have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. Now there's a a ton of information out there, a ton of resources about parenting and family and and all sorts of relational dynamics. And if I were to do this really well, it'd probably take me 16 weeks to to take the time to really invest in this topic by itself. But what I want to do here this morning is I want to kind of pinpoint what I think are some irreducible minimums or some absolutes when it comes to causing your family and your relational life to actually thrive. Now, how many of you have have children? Let me see your hands. How many of you have children? All right. Um, Courtney and I, we have four kids. Um, We have two girls and two boys. Our oldest, uh, Mackenzie, she graduated from college last year um, in accounting and now is getting her MBA in grad school and will sit for her CPA Um, this coming fall our our second daughter madison she's going she's also in college and she's getting a nursing degree our third child is landon and he's also in college and he's getting his engineering degree and then our youngest sheldon we have one not yet in college thank god three is enough for my pocketbook but our youngest he's a a junior in high school this is our family dynamics and one of the things i thought was so interesting as a parent as each consecutive child came along in your family, how family dynamics changed and how you parented the first child and the things you did with the first child are not always the things that you do with the last child. You know what I'm talking about, parents? Come on, you know what I'm saying. But we talk about all the time, our oldest always complains about how we are with our youngest. And how we would never let her do those things when she was of that age. And it goes like that where our youngest complains that we don't ever do anything fun like we did with our oldest, oldest child. But one of the things that is so kind of visually specific about this is that with our first child, we have tons of pictures of McKinsey. We probably have around 1,000 pictures of our firstborn child, but then when we get to our secondborn, Madison, we probably have half of those pictures, probably about 500 pictures that we have of our second child. And then when we get to Landon, we have even less pictures. Maybe we have about a 100 pictures of him. And then finally, when Sheldon came along, we were all just really tired, so we have very few <laughs> pictures of our youngest child. I was, I was reading an article the other day about a woman's perspective on how life changes with each progressive child. And I want you to listen to what she said about this. She said on the issue of maternity clothes, she said with the first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy. <laughs> and for ladies, that's when you decide you're going to go ahead and put on some pregnancy clothes. Your second baby, she says, you wear your regular clothes for as long as possible. And then for your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. (laughs) Now, I didn't say that. Okay, this is written by a woman, ladies, so please, no bad emails this week. I didn't write any of this on the issue of going out she says with the first baby the first time you go out you call every five minutes right you're going to call the babysitter every five minutes when first time you go out with the second baby just before you walk out you remember oh yeah i need to leave a number where you can be reached and then with the third baby you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood (laughs) and then on the issue of swallowing coins With the first baby, you rush the child to the hospital and demand x-rays. With the second baby, you carefully watch for the coin to pass. And then with the third baby, you deduct it from their allowance. (laughs) How many parents can relate to these things? It's just so true, isn't it? Look again at Proverbs 24, verse 3. It says, It takes wisdom to have a good family, And it takes understanding to make it strong. Notice that the writer of Proverbs says that it takes wisdom to have a good family. And wisdom is more than just information, right? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So think about that. In order to have a good family, it requires something from heaven above coming into your life, into your family to actually have a good family. It takes wisdom to have a good family. Then notice it says it takes understanding to make families strong. And that word understanding is kind of an interesting word because understanding is the effort to apply all these different truths in the most radical of situations that you're ever going to face. It's the application of how to do this in terms of your own family. And so it says it takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. And so this morning, I wanna give you five essentials that I think will give you wisdom and understanding to build healthy families. And number one, the first one is authentic faith. Authentic faith. Which means if there's authentic faith, that also means that there is inauthentic faith as well, right? And there's a whole group of people out there that, that I think haven't figured out that there's more to God than just what happens on Sundays. There's a whole group of people who don't lean on God's power, his wisdom and his strength and his anointing for our lives. And if that's you here this morning, I want to encourage you to develop an authentic faith with God, not just something that comes around on Sundays, because if, if you don't have this authentic relationship with God, you're missing out on some things. You're missing out on this incredible relationship that you can have with God who will insert himself into the different situations that you face, where it's not just about you trying to figure it out. It's not just about your wisdom and you trying to know how to raise your kids or how to interact with your spouse or how to deal with this friendship that you have. You're missing a strength and a peace that comes not just on Sundays, but a strength and a peace that will come in those different difficult situations that you face. This is the incredible opportunity that we have in building a relationship with God. And and that's why for me, the best advice, the best parenting advice, the best family advice, the best relational advice I can give you is to have an authentic relationship with God. That's where it really starts. Look at this in Proverbs 14, verse 26. It says, reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge. Look what he's describing here. Because it says, when you have a deep reverence for God, in other words, when you have this authentic faith, it not only gives you this deep reservoir of strength, but in turn, it gives your children a safe place of refuge and strength and security. Isn't that interesting? That you as a parent, if you have this dynamic, authentic relationship with God, it actually creates security for your kids. It creates a refuge for your kids. And boy, don't you know how much our kids need that sort of place in our society today? With so much going on there, there needs to be a place of refuge that our kids have be, are able to have. And we provide that when we have that deep relationship with God. So Joshua 24, verse 15 it says choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, that's step number 1. You have to be able to choose and honestly I don't think you can go very much further in developing a godly healthy relationships within your family without an authentic faith in God. And then here's number 2. The second absolute essential is intentional schedules. Intentional schedules. And listen, I think every one of us need to understand, if you haven't figured it out already, life is incredibly hectic and busy. We're all running around doing so many different things, which means we need to use our time wisely. The best families I know are very intentional about what they do and what they don't do. They guard their time. They they are intentional about creating space and margin for their family. Cornell University did a study on families, and they discovered that the average father in America only spends about seven minutes a day with their children. Only seven minutes a day. That's 49 minutes a week. That's less than an hour that the average father in America spends with his children. And if that man is a father to preschoolers, he only spends 37.7 seconds a day with those preschoolers. That's 4.4 minutes a week that the average father spends with his preschool children. And so the questioning becomes, who's raising your kids? Who's raising your kids? If the average father in America is spending less than an hour and maybe just minutes with their children, then where are they getting their influence? Where are they getting their safety? Where is their anchor coming from? Psalm 39, verse 6 says, We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. What a fabulous scripture that is just so true. And that's what happens when we're not intentional about our schedules. All our busy rushing around, it ends up just as nothing. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with on their deathbeds over the years as a pastor. And I've yet to hear somebody say, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I wish I would have, I wish I would have spent more time being busy with all, all my vocational stuff. I've never, ever heard that. in all the deathbeds that I've sat on when people are at the end of their life, you know what they say? What they do say they wish, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have spent more time with my friends. I wish I would have spent more time with my spouse. I wish I would have spent more time with my parents. Why? Because in that moment when your life is done, you all of a sudden you, you realize what is priority. And the only thing that's priority in our life becomes relationships. But if that's going to be a priority, then we have to make it intentional. We have to actually establish that in our lives. One of the things that Courtney and I have done, and I have done over the years And we tend to live very busy, hectic schedules, and having four kids, especially when they were all at home, life was a little crazy, don't you know? But one of the things that we learned to do is that we would sit down together, and both of us would have our calendars, and the first thing that would go on our calendars were our family events and our family schedules. That was the first thing that went on. We would get all the kids' activities, all the kids' schedules, that, would ha- that got put onto our schedules first. Then our church activities, then our business activities, then our personal activities got added into it if it fit into our schedules. Let me just say, life around you will push out family time. Life around you will push out what is actually probably a priority for you, but it's ended up not being a priority because these other things are just causing you to be too busy. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says, It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. Which means you may need to cut out a sport. You may need to cut out a meeting. You may need to cut out an activity. You can't do everything. That's just good, solid, biblical advice. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. One of the things that Courtney and I did over the years as our kids were, were growing up, having four, we realized very quickly that our kids couldn't do everything. Because it's impossible for us to get to everywhere. And if you have four kids and our three were in high school together. So we have three in high school, three in college. And then Sheldon kind of lingers behind all of that. And so busy, busy, busy. So if they just had one activity, that was four activities a week that we had to put onto our calendar. If they had two activities, that's eight activities. Can you see what I'm saying? Very quickly, our schedules got very, very busy. And so as they increased in what they wanted to do, we had to actually come in and limit what they were able to do. Because it's what it says, it's better to have a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time, and I know that may sound a little countercultural because our culture right now wants to give our kids all the opportunities they need to do everything, everything, everything. But I want to tell you what that does: it pushes out being intentional about having family time because now you're just running back and forth to and fro, getting the kids at this meeting, getting the kids at this, this activity, and you don't have any time with each other. Then here's the third absolute, and I think is so essential, and that is discovering purpose discovering purpose and the reason why this is absolute essential is because when you have purpose you know how to spend your time when you have purpose you know how to say no to some things and yes to other things and as parents all of you who are parents you need to help your children find purpose One of the most important things that you can do as a parent is to help your child discover their purpose. Help your child focus on the one thing that makes them unique. They don't have to be good at everything. Just help them focus on the one thing that will make them unique. The one thing that they can excel out at. And so many kids, I think this today... are are involved in basketball and volleyball and football and track and tennis and private lessons and, and music lessons and art and drama. And they're all doing all these types of things, and it creates such a franticness to their lives. And in the midst, they miss out on discovering what their purpose is. Purpose will help you narrow down your activity as well as your kids' activities. That's what purpose is all about. And listen, parents, those of you who are parents, there's an anointing on your life to help your child discover their purpose. God puts you in their life because you have an anointing. He puts anointing on you. Anointing means this divine ability. You have this divine ability that comes on you from God to help navigate your child for them to discover what their purpose is. And let me tell you something. Purpose more than anything else will help your children navigate through the peer pressures of life. Because what happens when your child begins to understand their purpose, that then will become their focus and their aim. They now have vision through middle school. They have, now have vision through high school, and it keeps them from being distracted by all these other things that peer pressure does. Our second child, Madison, from her early age, she discovered this heart for nursing. She just was a, a caretaker. She is a nurturer. And so she very quickly went and got her CNA license, and she just started working in nursing homes in different places, and that's what what she's doing as a degree plan today. And even later on, she's had some really difficult college times, and she's been to way too many colleges. I've lost count of how many. Part of it is because we moved in the thing, and she was trying to figure out where she was going to go. She kind of felt displaced. If she wouldn't have had this purpose, I'm telling you, she probably would have quit college because it was difficult. Relationally, it was difficult for her to transfer her to these. But purpose, purpose helped her continue to engage. Our youngest, Sheldon, from an early age, God spoke to him in a dream and, and told him that he was going to be a missionary. And he's had this in his little heart from a little age. And our kids grew up in public school. And for most people, you don't talk about God in public school, at least where we were in Wisconsin. This that was an area where nobody in their school really was Christian. And so, but for him, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And in middle school where every kid had to come up with their career was going to be, they had to pick a career, he just boldly and brazenly said, I'm going to be a missionary. And in that, and when they had, to, they had to figure out, okay, well, how much money do missionaries make? <laughs> And they had to figure the whole purpose was so you can figure out what it is, what your life is going to look like if you go down that career path, what your income level will be, what your lifestyle will be. It's a great little activity. But the thing that I was so proud of him about that he wasn't, he wasn't ashamed at all about this. Why? Because he understood his purpose. And he's been able to navigate, he has this incredible, innocent, pure heart. He's been able to navigate the the really hostile middle school years and, and the difficult high school years. Why? Because he has purpose. That's what purpose does. Look at how the Apostle Paul described this for his own life. In Acts 20, verse 24, it says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Look what he's saying. The Apostle Paul understood his purpose, and then that's what became his only aim in life. That's what he wanted to accomplish. And as parents, you have the ability to help your child discover his or her purpose, which is why moms and dads, you need to be very careful what comes out of your mouth. Moms and dads, you need to be very careful what you speak over your children because you have the ability to help shape and help them discover their purpose. So you need to be very careful what comes out of your mouth because you can cut it off, you can destroy vision, you can destroy purpose in their life very, very quickly. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is, what's the word? Only what is helpful. Think about this. Those of you who are parents, think about this. The only thing that needs to come out of your mouth is what is helpful for your child. For what? For building others up according to what? Does it say your need? Does it say your agenda? Does it say you being able to relive the glory years of your high school? Does it say so that you can live your life vicariously through them? No. It says so that according to their Needs According to their needs. Be careful what you speak with your word. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Speak life over your kids, folks, not death. Guard your mouth. Look at how Jesus did this in Mark 10, verse 16. It says, and he, that is Jesus, took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. If you're taking notes, underline the word blessed. It's an amazing word in scripture, because in in the Bible, blessing were these verbal prophetic statements spoken verbally over a person's life. And so look what Jesus was doing. Jesus gathered these little children in his arms, and he spoke over them things that had to do with their future and their purpose. Parents, listen to me. Grandparents, listen to me. That's the call of God on your life for your children and your grandkids. Gather them, speak prophetically over life about their future and about their purpose. God's put that inside of you. Help them have purpose in what God has called them to do. And here's the fourth absolute. fourth absolute essential is right relationships. Right relationships, which means there's also wrong relationships that we can get involved in, don't you know? I've just seen this truth over and over and over and over again, that you are the sum total of your relationships. Good or bad, you are who you are because the people in your life. Another way to say this is you show me your friends and I'll show you what your future is going to be like. You show me the friends who your kids are running around with, and I'll show you what your child's future is going to be like. The most important decisions that we make in life, every one of us, no matter how old you are, are who are you going to surround yourself with? What type of people are you going to interact with? Which is why you're going to hear me say this over and over and over and over and over again. You're going to get tired of me saying this, but every one of us need to be in some sort of small group. You need to connect with other believers, people who are seeking God, people who are trying to discover what God is saying. You need people around you who are going to be praying for you in all the different seasons of your life. We need these right relationships around us. The Bible says it this way, Proverbs 27, verse 19, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Ouch. Right? We may think we are a certain way, but show me your friends. Isn't that interesting what he says? A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, he goes to jail you want to hang around fools, you're going to end up going to jail. You're going to end up making stupid decisions that may cost you really harshly the older that you get. I hear Dr. Dobson say this all the time, you know, focus on the family. He says, one of the things as parents, especially when your child gets into high school, when they start turning you off as a parent and they stop listening to you, is that it's almost like you just hunker down and you just keep praying that they won't make any stupid decision that will then affect their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Yeah. We invest in them when they're younger, when they do listen to us and when they're, they're, they're more malleable. But then there comes a point where you're just praying and they're, listen, one of the best things you're going to be able to do is help your kids hang around the right people. That would be one of the most important things that you do as a parent. Help your kids get around the right people. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. For all of us, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? We're around people who are not always God followers. A lot of this is not by choice. But you have a choice of who you're going to bring close to. You have a choice of who you're going to do life with. And here the Apostle Paul says, don't do that. Don't do life. Don't get that close to unbelievers because they will begin to infect your life. And then a companion of fools is going to suffer harm. Here's the last one. You can't have great relationships without, number five, amazing grace. Think about that. You can't have um, these incredible relationships, healthy relationships, without amazing grace. You know why they call it amazing? It's called amazing because it makes no sense. It's not logical, it's not deserved, it's amazing. And we sing about it, don't we? We sing about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The reason why it's amazing grace is because Jesus took everything that you've ever done wrong and everything that you're currently continuing to do wrong, he took that and God forgives you. That's why it's amazing grace. And listen, folks, our relationships need that same grace. There's not a person on this planet who won't need grace from you in order for you to be in that relationship. Ooh, did you hear me? There's not a person on this planet that you're not going to have to extend grace to who needs grace in order for that relationship to exist. Why? Because relationships are difficult. Relationships are tough. Relationships are imperfect. And so what does that mean? I need to recognize that. I need to recognize that relationships are difficult, people are imperfect, and I need to recognize that people in my life are going to mess up. People in your life are going to mess up. You need to recognize that. And parents, you need to recognize that your kids are going to mess up. I need to recognize that my kids are going to mess up. I want you to listen to this letter from a son to his father, and maybe you can identify this, or maybe... You can kind of ask yourself how you would respond to this it says dear dad it was with great regret and sorrow that i'm writing you i've had to elope with my new girlfriend because i wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you i've been finding real passion with stacy and she is so nice however i knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings and tattoos and tight motorcycle clothes also she is much older than me but it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. And so we'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science finds a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She sure deserves it. But don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many grandchildren. Love, Joshua. Can you imagine? The letter doesn't end there, though. P.S., Dad, none of the above is True. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report that's on the kitchen table. Call when it's safe for me to come home. It takes grace, folks. Every single relationship takes grace. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as your mom did. Is that what it says? (laughs) Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as your grandma did. Is that what it says? It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, you'll never have to forgive anyone in your life more than God has forgiven you. Did you hear that? You will never have to forgive anyone in your life more than how God has already forgiven you. And I'm aware this morning that maybe you're in some very difficult relationships. Maybe there's some family dynamics that are going on around in, in your life, even to the point where you're considering walking away. Maybe as a husband, you're considering walking away from your wife. Maybe as a wife, you're considering walking away from your husband. Maybe as a child, you're considering walking away from your parents. Maybe as parents, maybe you're considering walking away from your children. And as I was preparing this message this week, I felt like God wanted to speak directly to you. Those who are struggling in these family relationships here this morning, I want you to look at this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse one, it says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. For some of you, maybe you're old enough to, the reason why you even know this passage is because of the rock band The Birds who wrote the song Turn, Turn, Turn. Yeah. Any of you remember that song? These words from that song come, come from this passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I think all of, when you read this passage, all of these, these words make sense to us until we get to verse 5, that there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. Now, now what in the world does that mean? What's interesting because this is a reference to a story in the book of Genesis. If you're reading the Bible through in, in a year with us, as Tress was talking about, you would have read this passage, this story in Genesis chapter 31 this past week. And it's a story of Jacob and his father in law, Laban. And Jacob went to Laban's house, and he wants to marry the younger sister, Rachel. He falls in love with her and Laban says, sure, I'll give you my permission, but you have to work for me for seven years. And and Jacob goes, absolutely, whatever it takes. I love this woman. I'll do it. And so he did. He worked hard for his father-in-law for seven years. And it seemed like it went by that fast because that's how much he loved Rachel. But on that wedding night, Laban switched his daughters. His, he put in his older daughter, Leah, for the younger daughter, Rachel. And so when Jacob woke up the next morning after his honeymoon, he turns over and realizes it's not Rachel, it's the older sister, Leah. He's furious with his father in law. He goes to Laban and says, What have you done to me? Well, I, you promised me I could have Rachel. I worked seven years for you, and you switched your older daughter for your younger daughter. And Laban goes, well, you don't understand our culture. In our culture, the younger sister cannot marry before the older sister does. And Jacob's going, why didn't you tell me at the beginning? And Laban goes, well, if you still want to marry Rachel, if you'll work for me for another seven years, then I will give you that daughter as well. And because Jacob loved Rachel, he worked another seven years for his father-in-law to be able to earn her for his own life and so he gets married he marries has both of them they begin to have children he stays there with the family doing what he has to do and he works hard but comparatively speaking to all the other employees that his father-in-law had jacob was paid so much less And he's getting infuriated, but time and time and time again, he's being used and misused and mistreated and abused by his father-in-law. And finally, he just gets to this boiling point point. He says, enough is enough. And he takes his wives, he takes all of his children, all of his possessions, all of his livestock, and he leaves without telling anybody. He begins to really kind of flee Laban's premises. A couple days later, Laban discovers that Jacob and all of his, his his two daughters and all of his grandkids and all his possessions have left. And so he's furious. He's fuming. And so he gathers some of his troops and he begins to chase after Jacob and his family. The night before he finally reaches Jacob and his family, God speaks to Laban in his dream. And God tells Laban, When you see Jacob, do you not say anything bad. Or good, is what he says. In other words, don't lay your hands on him. And so the next day when Laban encounters Jacob, he says these words in Genesis 31, verse 44. It says, come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap And they ate there by the heap. Now, it's important for you to understand that in Jewish culture, stones were used for one of two things. One, for taking a stone and throwing it at somebody in order to kill them. People were stoned to death with the use of stones. That was one purpose for stones in the Jewish culture. But the second purpose was for building an altar. And so think about this. Both Jacob and Laban, they were furious both wanted to throw stones at each other. Both wanted to kill each other. But instead of throwing stones, they gathered stones together and they knelt before the stones. And with each stone, they began to build an altar. And each time one of them would put a stone, they would say, I let go of that hurt. I let go of that pain. I let go of that unmet expectation. I let go of that abuse. I let go of that disappointment. Think about it. What they wanted to do was to throw this at each other. But yet what they did is they they built an altar and they said, I let it go. I release it. I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you any longer. There's a time to scatter stones. And there's a time to gather stones. I believe that God's speaking to some of you. Because there's difficulty in your family relationships. And you're one that wants to throw stones. You're one that wants to take these stones, and you want to end this relationship. And I want you to hear just the Spirit of God speaking here for you. But there's a time to scatter stones, and there's a time to gather stones. I want to ask you just to close your eyes, if you would, please. And I want you to just, right here in this moment, in, in kind of this moment in your life, because I think, as I was praying for you here this week, I believe That God has you here for a purpose. That just as God appeared to Laban, and as Laban was furious and ready to do harm to Jacob, I believe that even here this morning, God's speaking to some of you about the relationships in your life, and you're infuriated, you're hurt, you've been abused and misused, you. You've had all this junk happen to you in this relationship and you're just you're done. You're done and you want to inflict pain and you want to be justified in your actions here and you want to end this completely. Please listen to what God's saying. There's a time to scatter stones and there's a time to gather the men. In. Instead of walking away, instead of getting that divorce, instead of breaking that relationship, gather stones and apply the same grace that God has given you. Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning with all the relationships that are in our life and all the relationships where we feel justified and it's just burning inside of us that... We want to throw that stone at them. The Father, I pray that here in this moment, God, that you would begin to heal the hurt in our hearts. You begin to heal the hurt in our memories, our conscious, and our subconscious. The Father, as we make a decision to let go, to lay down that stone and to build an altar here this morning, that God, you would do a miracle in us. God, just as you did that with Jacob and Laban, God, as they began to pile those stones, as they began to let go of the hurt and the pain, the unmet expectations, the years, the years and decades of abuse and misuse, that God, as as we look at that here today, that Father, we would choose to lay down that stone and to let it go to release it into your hands to allow in this moment an altar to be built and healing to come in our own hearts. Father, begin to work that in us. Begin just to stir that in us here this morning. I've asked the team here just to lead us. And here in this moment, i want you just to call out to god as your healer to begin to let him restore your soul to begin to heal the hurt and the pain to invite him in as you begin to let go of your judgments and your hurt and the pain as you begin to let go of those those stones to allow god just to come in and bring healing let's just kind of let us kind of just soak over you here this morning